part eight of anne severn and the fieldings by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part eight anne and colin chapter one autumn had passed colin's couch was drawn up before the fire in the drawing-room anne sat with him there he could listen for half an hour at a time when anne read to him poems short stories things that were ended before colin tired of them he ate and drank hungrily and his body began to get back its strength at noon when the winter sun shone he walked first up and down the terrace then round and round the garden then to the beech trees at the top of the field and then down the hill to the manor farm on mild days she drove him about the country in the dog-cart she had tried motoring but had had to give it up because colin was frightened at the hooting grinding and jarring of the car as winter went on anne found that colin was no worse in cold or wet weather he couldn't stand the noise and rush of the wind but his strange malady took no count of rain or snow he shivered in the clear still frost but it braced him all the same driving or strolling she kept him half the day in the open air she saw that he liked best the places they had gone to when they were children the manor farm fields high slaughter and hayes mill they were always going to the places where they had done things together when colin talked sanely he was back in those times he was safe there there if anywhere he could find his real self and be well she had the feeling that colin's future lay somewhere through his past if only she could get him back there so that he could be what he had been there must be some way of joining up that time to this if only she could find a bridge a link she didn't know that she was the way she was the link binding his past to his present bound up with his youth his happiness his innocence with the years before queenie and the war she didn't know what queenie had done to him she didn't know that the war had only finished what queenie had begun that was colin's secret the hidden source of his fear but he was safe with anne because they were not in love with each other she left his senses at rest and her affection never called for any emotional response she took him away from his fear she kept him back in his childhood in his boyhood in the years before queenie with a continual do you remember do you remember the walk to high slaughter do you remember the booby trap we set for poor pinkney that was dangerous for poor pinkney was at the war do you remember benjy yes rather but benjy was dangerous too for gerald had given him to her she could feel colin shying he had a butterfly smut he said hadn't he do you remember how i used to come and see you at cheltenham and granny and aunt emily and how you used to play on their piano and how granny jumped when you came down crash on those chords in the waldstein do you mean the presto yes the last movement no wonder she jumped i should jump now he turned his mournful face to her Anne i shall never be able to play again there was danger everywhere in the end all ways led back to colin's malady oh yes you will when you're quite strong i shall never be stronger you will you're stronger already she knew he was stronger he could sleep three hours on end now and he had left off screaming and still the doors were left open between their rooms at night he was still afraid to sleep alone he liked to know that she was there close to him instead of the dreams instead of the sudden rushing crashing horror he was haunted by a nameless dread 
dread of something he didn't know something that waited for him something he couldn't face something that hung over him at night that was there with him in the morning that came between him and the light of the sun anne kept it away anne came between it and him he was unhappy and frightened when anne was not there it was always you're not going anne yes but i'm coming back how soon and she would say an hour or half an hour or ten minutes don't be longer no and then i don't know how it is anne but everything seems all right when you're there and all wrong when you're not chapter two the manor farm house stands in the hamlet of upper speed it has the grey church and churchyard beside it and looks across the deep road towards sutton farm the beautiful jacobean house the church and churchyard sutton's farm and the rectory the four cottages and the mill the river and its bridge lie close together in the small flat of the valley green pastures slope up the hill behind them to the north pink-brown arable lands ploughed and harrowed are flung off to either side east and west northwards the valley is a slender slip of green bordering the slender river southwards below the bridge the water meadows widen out past sutton's farm from the front windows of the manor farm house you see them green between the brown trunks of the elms on the road bank from the back you look out across orchard and pasture to the black still water and yellow osier beds above the mill beyond the water a double line of beeches bare delicate branches rounded head after rounded head climbs a hillock in a steep curve to part and meet again in a thick ring at the top the house front stretches along a sloping grass plot the immense porch built out like a wing with one ball-topped gable above it a smaller gable in the roof behind on either side two rows of wide black windows heavy-browed with thick stone mullions barker gerald fielding's agent used to live there but before the spring of nineteen sixteen barker had joined up wick manor had been turned into a home for convalescent soldiers and anne was living with colin at the manor farm half of her ilford land had been taken by the government and she had let the rest together with the house and orchard instead of her own estate she had the manor to look after now it had been impossible in wartime to fill barker's place and anne had become gerald's agent she had begun with a vague promise to give a look round now and then but when the spring came she found herself doing barker's work keeping the farm accounts ordering fertilizers calculating so many hundred weights of superphosphate of lime or sulphate of ammonia or muriate of potash to the acre riding about on barker's horse looking after the ploughing plodding through the furrows of the hill slopes to see how the new drillers were working going the round of the sheep pens to keep count of the sick ewes and lambs carrying the motherless lambs in her arms from the fold to the warm kitchen she went through february rain and snow through march wind and sleet and through the mists of the low meadows her feet were loaded with earth from the ploughed fields her nostrils filled with the cold rich smell of the wet earth the rank sharp smell of swedes the dry pungent smell of straw and hay the thick oily woolly smell of the folds the warm half-sweet half-sour smell of the cattle sheds of champed fodder of milky cow's breath the smell of hot litter and dung at five-and-twenty she had reached the last clear decision of her beauty 
dressed in riding-coat and breeches her body showed more slender and more robust than ever rain sun and wind were cosmetics to her firm smooth skin her eyes were bright dark washed with the clean air on her essex farm and afterwards at the war she had learned how to handle men sulky curtis who grumbled under barker's rule surrendered to anne without a scowl when anne came riding over the seven-acre field lazy bollinger pulled himself together and ploughed through the two last furrows that he would have left for next day in barker's time even for bollinger and curtis she had smiles that atoned for her little air of imperious command and colin followed her about the farmyard and up the fields till he tired and turned back she would see him standing by the gate she had passed through looking after her with the mournful look he used to have when he was a little boy and they left him behind he would stand looking till anne's figure black on her black horse stood up against the skyline from the curb of the round-topped hill it dipped it dipped and disappeared and colin would go slowly home at the first sound of her horse's hoofs in the yard he came out to meet her chapter three one day he said to her gerald will be jolly pleased with what you've done when he comes home and then if he ever can be pleased with anything again it was the first time he had said gerald's name that's what's been bothering me he went on i can't think how gerald's going to get over it you remember what he was like when father died yes yes she remembered well what's the war going to do to him look what it's done to me he minds things so much more than i do it doesn't take everybody the same way colin i don't suppose gerald will get shell-shock but he might get something worse something that'll hurt him more he must mind so awfully you may be sure he won't mind anything that could happen to himself of course he won't but the things that'll happen to other people seeing the other chaps knocked about and killed he minds most the things that happen to the people he cares about to you and elliot they're the sort of things he can't face he'd pretend they couldn't happen but the war's so big that he can't say it isn't happening he's got to stand up to it and the things you stand up to don't hurt you i feel certain he'll come through all right that was the turning point in colin's malady she thought if he can talk about gerald he's getting well the next day a letter came to her from gerald he wrote i wish to goodness i could get leave i don't want it all the time i'm quite prepared to stick this beastly job for any reasonable period but a whole year without leave it's a bit thick about colin didn't i tell you he'd be all right and it's all you anne you've made him you needn't pretend you haven't i want most awfully to see you again there are all sorts of things i'd like to say to you but i can't write em she thought he's got over it at last then he won't be afraid of me any more somehow since the war she had felt that gerald would come back to her it was as if always deep down and in secret she had known that he belonged to her and that she belonged to him as no other person could that whatever happened and however long a time he kept away from her he would come back at some time in some way she couldn't distinguish between gerald and her sense of gerald and as nothing could separate her from the sense of him nothing could separate her from gerald himself he had part in the profound and secret life of her blood and nerves and brain End of part eight recording by expatriate in bangor maine